Welcome to a special release of the Reality Escape Pod. We are putting out one of our many bonus episodes. In Season 5, Episode 11, we interviewed game designer Mark Larson, who has also created The Shop of Theseus, the official audio escape game for Recon 23. In this episode, we're joined by episode guest Mark Larson, as well as editor Steve Ewing. After every interview, we record a special bonus episode exclusively for our patrons. These are roundtable conversations covering a variety of topics and typically include discussions of our recently played games and experiences. In this particular episode, the gang regales you with the hilarious story of PG's unhinged rise to Mayor of Ghost Town Alive at Knott's Berry Farm. We talk about getting into puzzle hunts and Dash, which Mark is now helping to organize. And I rave about the ride Rise of the Resistance at Disney. I've now been on it four times and it's so good. <laughs> that was a tongue twister. <laughs> David also discusses his upcoming trip to the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser and announces a new podcast miniseries that he is working on with Lisa. And full disclosure, Lisa had actually never watched Star Wars before, and David breaks down her live reactions to watching the movies for the first time. Finally, we close out with a discussion about the Battlestar Galactica board game, which Mark Larson and I both adore because it is incredible. And if you want more content like this, we have a huge backlog of over 50 bonus episodes available to our patrons, starting at the $5 level. Your support really helps keep this content flowing, and it means more than you could ever imagine. Thank you so much for listening. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. We hope you have as much fun listening to it as we had making it. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod bonus show. Today, PG and I are joined by editor Steve and our guest from the episode, Mark Larson. Welcome back. Hello. I'm excited to talk about all the things. This is going to be great. So in between the main episode and this one, I just took a quick break because I had received a text that my birthday gift from my brother-in-law and sister-in-law arrived. They tend to send me interesting food gifts. They sent me, and you can just Google this, you should. It's called, quote, not fried chicken ice cream bucket. And it is a bucket of things that look like fried chicken. They look like drumsticks, but they are in fact ice cream. And it looks like they have a little chocolate bone on the inside of them. This is like some molecular gastronomy nonsense that I'm very excited about. So they're drumsticks. They're drumsticks, but they're entirely chicken. It like, literally says product does not contain chicken. You mean they're entirely ice cream? Yes. But right, they're the ice cream. I mean, there's a product called drumsticks that is made of ice cream. But no, no, no. They look like chicken drumsticks. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do they taste like? I, I am not sure yet, but I can pretty much guarantee that if they sent it to me, they taste amazing. 
You know, honestly, though, I feel like if you put fried chicken skin, like the crunchy parts, Ooh. on ice cream, I would eat that. Yeah. A little sweet, a little savory, a little salty and sweet. Yep, yep. Yeah, it looks like this is vanilla ice cream, white chocolate. I think it's like cornflakes. It- and crushed cornflakes, yeah, yeah. Is there like a white meat and dark meat component, <laughs> like a vanilla chocolate situation? I will have to report back after I explore these. I'm going to have to take them to the lab for science. Cornflakes are my favorite toppings on ice cream. Cornflakes and also pretzels. Cornflakes are great. Mm. Anyway, (laughs) I'm very excited for when this episode ends. I probably should have dinner, but uh, I'm not sure what order things will be consumed. If you don't have fried chicken with this dinner, you're doing it wrong. I, I'm going to do this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's like an Instagram account that's fried chicken or a puppy. <laughs> There's puppies that look like fried chicken when they're young. They're, they're for her. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, little nuggets. <laughs> so anyway, we have other, other more relevant things to talk about. First of all, PG became mayor of Ghost Town Alive at Knott's Berry Farm for uh, an hour. (laughs) I was going to say, speaking of fried chicken and not having it, that's exactly what we did wrong. David and I went to Knott's Berry Farm last week and we did not have the fried chicken, which if you don't know the story of Knott's Berry Farm, it's an amusement park here in Southern California. You're supposed to have fried chicken? Yeah, because the whole point of why this amusement park even came into existence is that this farmer, it was a literal berry farm. He invented the boysenberry. It's like a mix of raspberry and blackberry and something else. Uh, And they were selling like jams and all of these things. His wife started selling fried chicken dinners. And it was so popular, there were like a ton of people always queuing for lines. And so he started making attractions to keep the people entertained when they would come to eat these famous fried chicken dinners. And it just kind of grew and grew. And he added the ghost town. That was actually the first thing that he added. And then he started adding all of these other attractions. Eventually, at some point, it got bought out by Cedar Point. But that is the origin of Knott's Berry Farm which I just find so fascinating for this big amusement park. I feel so let down that none of you locals told me I needed to have the fried chicken there. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot. I kind of forgot about it, to be honest. But after you're not helping your case here. (laughs) (laughs) I had such a good time. You know, I never even knew that Knott's Berry Farm was so much fun. And I think a lot of people go expecting it to be like a Disneyland type thing. And yeah, there's rides there, but that's not really what makes it special. And I only realized this because I went again, literally yesterday, I took my niece back because I had such a good time. And even she was like, I never knew Knott's Berry Farm could be this much fun. So Knott's Berry Farm has this whole attraction called Ghost Town Alive. It is in their ghost town, like Western town section, which for many years was just kind of this walkthrough thing. There were shops. And then in 2016, they decided to hire actors and they created this whole kind of open world, immersive, interactive experience there where there's a storyline, there's actors, and you get to play a part in Founders Day. Something probably 
kind of similar to what they're doing at Phantom Peak-ish? Same, different. Same, same, but different. <laughs> it's it's very, like, structurally, it's very different. With Ghost Town Alive, what was really interesting is it opens up, I think, at 10 o'clock in the morning, 10 or 10.30, and it goes until, like, 4.30 in the afternoon. And it is a loop, but it is a day-long loop. And also, the characters will change the plot based off of the way that the players are interacting with them at any given point in time. So there are these key story beats, but what the outcome is, is very much in flux. What was wild about it is that we went there specifically for this. We had heard about it and we knew that Andy Crocker from Mr. and Mischief, she was the director of unscripted activity in this. And so we wanted to go and check this out. And what initially struck me about it was that it's the kind of place where you could be a guest at the theme park, walk through that area and just presume that all of the different characters you're seeing are just regular staff in costume and ignore them because they don't immediately like grab you and say like, hi, I'm an immersive performer and I am here to interact with you. You have to kind of choose to interact with them. But once you do, there is this sort of infinite world that you can explore and play. And it was it was really a remarkable place. Yeah, the interactions there were really fun. And so so the story, the way the story goes, I thought this was really clever, too, was basically whoever owned the bank had just died. And in his will, he said that he always admired people who were outlaws, right? He always thought there was a, such an adventurous life. And so he wanted to offer the deed of the bank to whoever was the best outlaw of them all. And so to prove you were the best outlaw, you had to steal a bunch of the items that were like these treasures around town. And so in a way, I like that because it made it okay for you to be a bad guy. Because I know like my niece included is one of those kids that she's a good girl. Okay. If you had said, do you want to be an outlaw? She would be horrified because she wants to be like a good upstanding citizen, right? Like I'm the opposite. I would have been like, yeehaw, like let me at it. <laughs> but, you know, the way this was structured, it made it okay to be bad, you know, for a day. And it's not really bad. It's actually just kind of a game. So it's this game of who can steal these different treasures. So I had just played this twice. And there were things like, we helped move a treasure from one place and we helped to put it in the bank. And they were like, we're going to hide it in this bag that says seeds. So no one will know there's a treasure in it. Right. So my niece knew that. And then later on in the day, she kind of was like, maybe I want to try being a bad guy. So we joined up with one of the outlaws and he was kind of explaining the rules. And she's like, oh, I know where one of the treasures are. And he was like, really? Where? And she's like, it's in the bank vault. I helped put it in there. It's in a bag called seeds. And he was like, well, let's go see if we can get in. He's like, you see if you can get in it. And we talked the bank teller into opening the vault. And then she's like, oh, bird seeds. She was like, can I have some to go feed the birds outside? And he was like, well, I guess it's just seeds. I don't see why not. And he handed her the bag and she took the bag <laughs> and was able to give it to the bad guy. And, you know, so they allow for these fun things. And these these treasures are just constantly being traded hands and you can help them whether you choose to or not. And you collect information. So that's one of the tracks that you can play there. There was another track that I was really stuck on, which was Becoming Mayor. Like not a lot of people know about this track, but basically you just perform civic 
deeds and they give you a little piece of paper. You got to do like things for four different people. They're pretty involved deeds. And as you do them, you get a stamp. And when you've gotten all five stamps, you get to be mayor for like the day or until somebody else becomes mayor. (laughs) When I went back the second time, I was like, Avery, you got to be mayor. And she really didn't want to. She was kind of shy. She was a little nervous. She didn't know, you know, what it meant. So she was like, well, can you be mayor and I'll just be your deputy? And I was like, sure, let's let's just, you know, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. And what I thought was really cool is she really started opening up. The actors were really amazing to her and seeing the other kids having fun. She started to kind of understand how it worked. And at the end of the day, she went to the hoedown and she had a great time. We had been in other rides. We got to go on Jaguar, which is now our favorite roller coaster. We went on that three times in a row. So at the end of the day, when we were driving home and I was like, hey, Avery, what was your favorite part of the day? And she was like, being mayor. She didn't even want to do it at first, you know? And so I loved that that was her favorite part. I really thought she was going to say going on Jaguar three times in a row because that was pretty amazing too. So David, you're going to get a kick out of this because when I went there the second time, one of the actors there turns to me and this is just as Avery is writing some laws down. And he's like, he was like, have you had dinner with a certain kooky baron, maybe a very mad possessed baron and i was like (laughs) i have in fact had dinner with a mad baron so it turned out that this guy was the actor from last supper at quest tavern who uh, we actually interviewed he came on for the spoilers club and talked to us about being the actor at that game for spoilers club i didn't even recognize him in his whole outfit but i was wearing the shirt which character was he Jordan, he was the guy that we interviewed on Spoilers Club. He was the no in not in knots. Uh, he wasn't there that day that we went. He was there when I went with Avery. Okay, okay, cool. It was a new character too. He was like part of the cavalry or something. Wow, that's really cool. And so, so then I was like, yeah, I was just here last week and I was mayor also. And he goes. Wow, really? He was like, you must be special because usually they only let children be mayor. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) This is the reason this is so funny because I was on a tear to be mayor. PG was on a mission. (laughs) And I was parading around town with a sash on. I was making laws. I made everybody call me Mayor Law. (laughs) And at the end of the day, they're like, if you were mayor, please come up on stage. And it's me and two other children. And I'm like waving at everybody. I've got my hands in like this victory pose. The two children on either side are looking at me like, who is this lady on stage? My favorite part of this was PG on a absolute rampage to become mayor. And it is actually a substantial amount of work. She gets she gets all of her paperwork to do this finished and gets into the door of City Hall. I'm not kidding. Five seconds before maybe me. I'm going to guess this girl was maybe eight years old. And PG is just like handing over her paperwork and like turning the kid and be like, you can be mayor next hour. <laughs> we literally walk 
and I'm like one step ahead of her when I can see she's got her paperwork. And I feel like a normal person would have been like, oh, you go first. And instead I started walking fast. Yes, PG, a normal person would have been like, you go first. (laughs) Brendan and I were watching from the corner of the city hall dying just absolutely <laughs> dying now it turned out it turned out i had uh, spoken to, to, to a few people from from ghost Town. the kid who is behind you is there every single day and has been mayor basically every single day this summer so they didn't care but it was so funny and pg did not know that in the moment <laughs> Listen, there's only room for one mayor in this town, okay? And it's mayor law. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm going to have to work on a treatment for a TV series called Mayor Law. It's like Justified or Walker, Texas Ranger. Mayor Law. It was so much fun. Like, (laughs) I had a blast. I just love that this thing was there. You know, and I realized Knott's Berry Farm is really about the kind of live entertainment. And so, like, between that, they have all of this live music. They have this concert with a live band playing, and they bring out lawn games for kids. I don't know that this is a thing that people would travel across the country to come to. It's something you would go to if you're just here on vacation, it's a fun thing to do. But I think as a local, I would even get a season pass just to take her to go do the interactions, sit down, listen to some live music and go on a couple rides. Like, why not? They got a ton of roller coasters there. So all in all, I had a I had a great time. I highly recommend it if you are in L.A. over the summertime. We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing your escape rooms and other immersive social outings. And Morty is now available for all to use on its brand new web experience, in addition to its fantastic iPhone app. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. Morty has the most extensive database of escape rooms and escape room ratings in the world. That means that no matter where you are or are planning to visit, you can use Morty to discover and track your escape room adventures. Morty is now available to use on its web experience in addition to its fantastic iPhone app. And we have great news. This fall, Morty has expanded to feature haunt attractions. If you are a Halloween or horror fan seeking thrills this fall, Morty has you covered. There will be so many more experiences to find in their database. This is Morty's biggest expansion since going international and its first time going beyond escape rooms. And for escape room purists, if you have no interest in haunts, Morty's design will ensure that you only get escape rooms in your feed. And if you are listening to this release week, be sure to come and check out Morty's booth at Recon 2023 because they are going to be making a huge announcement. That event is virtual and you can learn more about it at realityescapecon.com. Morty definitely wants to see you at Recon. 
You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details are in the show notes. All right, so let's talk Dash. We just found out in the main episode that you're now one of the organizers for Dash, which stands for Different Area, Same Hunt. And it's basically an in-person puzzle hunt where you're running around a city solving puzzles that will lead you to the next location. I know it happens in different cities across the U.S., maybe around the world? Has it gone international yet? Around the world. We've had a couple teams, I think, over in Australia. We always have a good handful in Europe, a couple in Canada, I think, if I remember right. Yeah. I think we had close to 30 locations last time we ran it. So nothing this year? Nothing this year. Dash isn't running this year, but it will be running in 2024. Yep. It takes us about 10 months to get a whole Dash together from start of concept to full execution. We've got to do all the story writing and the puzzle writing, all that chunk. Uh, Every puzzle is written by a different author. And we kind of source lots of different authors to participate in this. And then make stuff, play test it. Production's a big thing. We got to get everything produced and then sent to one location and then divvied up to all the locations past that. Make sure they, they land in the locations where they need to be and then run Dash. Have a, have a day where we do puzzles all around the world. So basically you have a puzzle and then when you solve it, it tells you to go to another location to pick up the next puzzle in the line. Yeah, it all happens on an app called Clue Keeper. So you put your answer in there and then we'll go, great, you solved it. Here's the next bit of the story and here's where you need to head next. So walk over there, find where the next puzzle is and head over there. So there's a nice there's a nice break between puzzles too. So you've got a little bit of like a mental, I don't think about another puzzle. I can you know enjoy the scenery or whatever for 10, 15 minutes. That's really nice. And Clue Keeper is made by Rich Bragg, also of Terpica fame. Lisa and I have done a couple of dashes and just really had a good time. It's the right amount of puzzle hunt, I think, at least for us. In terms of length or difficulty? It's a little bit of both. It's a good day's worth of puzzles, but as Mark said, there are the breaks, there's the walking, there's kind of wandering around the neighborhood. It's not uber competitive. It doesn't feel like the puzzles are these insurmountable hurdles. As long as you've got at least a little bit of experience puzzling, and I would say as a general rule, I recommend making sure that your team has at least one person who's good at cryptics. When you say cryptics, you mean like cryptic Cryptic crosswords, crosswords. Okay. Which Lisa and I are not especially good at. So we always make sure that we have a teammate who is. What size team do you recommend? It plays three to five. We've had a few teams of six play it. We design it for the three to five range. We've done four or five people. Usually, at least the last time we played, we played with Amanda and Drew. It's a good approachable day of puzzles. They also ramp up in difficulty pretty well. So if you start puzzling and you hit a point where you're like, you know what? We've had two in a row that have been a little bit more of a grind than we're ready for. That's fine. Just tap out. There's no collar around your neck that's going to explode if you don't finish all the puzzles. Or skip a puzzle too. Like That's something yep. I'll tell people. If you're not feeling this puzzle, just there's a thing on the app for you to get the answer and just go to the next puzzle. There's a time limit of, I think, 10 hours for the whole hunt. So there is a time when you need to finish by. But yeah, there's there's a wide set of puzzles. No prize. There's no like first place or anything. Like It's not about a race. Nope, not at all. Uh, there's two difficulty tracks as well. There's standard and expert. 
We used to call it novice and expert, and then everyone was like, oh, I'm not novice. So we're like, no, that's not the point. That's the point. We want a standard and an expert. So if you're playing and haven't played before, highly recommend standard. It's very similar. Something like the cryptics will give you a little bit more usually lead on, on like cryptic clues or just present more clearly what you need to do in the instructions versus an expert. But yeah, as David said, a super approachable a day of puzzles. Weekend, usually it's on a weekend. It's so much fun. I just love, I love experiencing those puzzles in live with people and having a day where you can really focus on doing some good puzzles. How does the difficulty compare to like your general puzzle pint style puzzles? I think we're pretty close. They're maybe a little bit more involved. They're a little longer, but pretty close. I would say my general advice to people if you're thinking about getting into puzzle hunts is to go and do a couple puzzled pints, either, you know, grab them off the puzzled pint website or go and do it in person, which I think is a better experience. Once you've done a couple of those, you're familiar with cryptic, so you have someone on your team who is dash is a really good first proper puzzle hunt. If you dive straight into something like the MIT mystery hunt or the galactic puzzle hunt or anything like that, you are going to get crushed. I don't really care how smart you are, how smart your friends are. If you have not exercised the puzzle hunt muscle and learned to recognize the patterns and learn the language of puzzle hunts. Just like with escape rooms, it's pattern recognition, right? way more like you can dive into a hard escape room and still do fine you cannot dive into a hard puzzle hunt having no knowledge of puzzle hunts and do well at all you will just be confused and most people will probably just be really frustrated it's the double diamond ski slope of start in the bunny hill work your way up to that yeah yeah all right so besides practicing on puzzled pint maybe picking up some cryptic crossword puzzling skills. What else can you do to to get prepared for these harder puzzle hunts? I'm looking to kind of get into it. Puzzle Pint is good for me. For me, that's a very approachable level. But what else can I do to sharpen the puzzle hunt skills? You've already done Colby's Curious Cook-Off from Boxeroo, but that's a really good one. And I would say in general, you can hop onto the MIT Mystery Hunt website. You can grab some puzzles from there if you want to see what the real deep end looks like. I also think, and Mark, you correct me if I'm wrong, the Dash website has past hunts up. Yep, we've got most of the, dip, the past dashes, so you can go check those out and get a feel for what those puzzles are like. Some of those puzzles require props that make them a little bit harder to just do from home unless you have a friend who has the ephemera from the past hunts. But you can probably solve at least half of the Dash puzzles just by grabbing them. I think that that's probably a really good place. Once you've gone and done a few puzzled pints and maybe Colby's, just grabbing some dash puzzles off of the website is totally worth it. They're quality puzzles. They're an approachable level of difficulty. I just got Eric Berlin's puzzle snacks, which I love. I love, love puzzle snacks. But those are quite easy difficulty, right? Yeah, those are on the lighter side. In all honesty, that is the level of puzzling that Lisa and I like to do recreationally if we're not just doing something for a piece that we're writing on Room Escape Artist. It's a snack. (laughs) Yeah. Puzzle snacks. Also, like the smaller puzzles from the New York Times. You know, we love doing the mini. Yeah, the mini um, Wordle. Like we really like the puzzles that we can be done with in under a couple minutes. 
because we got a lot of puzzles in our <laughs> lives and get a quick quick little fix quick hit yep. small <laughs> just a quick little hit <laughs> yeah yeah another recommendation i'll throw out there for puzzle hunts if you want to see a full puzzle hunt that is a beginner level grandhuntdigital.com ran one this past Ooh. february that is really geared at like first-time players it's three rounds the first round is all about teaching you what those kind of rhythms are the typical things uh, puzzle hunt will will show you what kind of code you need stuff like that and then it slowly ramps up over three rounds we only hit a couple puzzles in the whole hunt that we thought were were a little rough overall it was a really solid and really quick quick hunt for us being more experienced but a nice approachable hunt we pulled some of our friends in for that one who have been like i kind of want to do puzzle hunts i'm not sure and it was a nice introduction to like here's what you can see here's the rhythm of things so definitely check that one out Moving on to another topic here. Mark, have you been to Galaxy's Edge at any of the Disney parks? No, not yet. It's on my list. Okay. So I just went in Anaheim. And also, since we last recorded, Lisa and I, along with a few other people from the RIA team, got cabins on Galactic Star Cruiser before it closes. I'm so jealous. I am too. I'm so jelly. I'm a oh. peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of things going on here. First is we're going to go and do that. Going into this, Lisa had not seen a single Star Wars movie. What? What? Yeah. What? She doesn't deserve to go. Take me instead. <laughs> <laughs> we started watching. We watched the original trilogy that landed really well. Out of curiosity, who do you think was the character in the original Star Wars trilogy that most resonated with Lisa Spira? C-3PO. That would have been my guess. Grand Moff Tarkin. I would have guessed C-3PO as well. C-3PO is the correct answer. Yep. Yes! I know Lisa Spira so well! <laughs> yeah. She spent the, like, the entire first movie being like, the gold one gets me. <laughs> <laughs> I answered that so fast, David, before you even finished the question. I was like, I know the answer to this. I didn't even have to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, do I say that? I know Lisa pretty well. I don't know if, if that'll be uh, like, I'm glad you said it first. That's yep. perfect. <laughs> Another thing that was really funny was at the end of the first movie, Lisa says to me, she's like, I don't understand why everyone has a crush on princess leia i don't understand why she's a sex symbol like i don't i don't understand and all i said was just give it one in the third movies <laughs> uh, the return of the jedi leia mm. yes yeah so yeah we were you know in the middle of return of the jedi and i just sort of go oh <laughs> You know, I didn't get until later, but I get it now. Like Princess Leia was who like I loved. She was kind of ballsy. She was large and in charge. Like even even though she's a princess that needs to be rescued and Luke like, <laughs> rescues her. She's like, they didn't have anyone bigger. Like, yeah. was, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Uh, yeah, aren't you a little short yep. for a stormtrooper? That's the that's the quote. Yeah. I loved her. She's her sense of humor. She was kind of she was she was kind of a tough, a tough lady. I like that. Absolutely. But yeah, so anyways, there were a whole bunch of standout moments. Another one from just not Lisa's reaction, but for me, at the end of Return of the Jedi, I had a thought that I just had never had before, which is that there's a there's a scene that's missing. 
and that is you have the crew on Endor that blew up the shield projector and then you got the team in space that blew up the Death Star and then at the end they're all on Endor partying and I just really really wish that I could have heard the outtake where Han was calling up to Lando and being like Lando you got to come down here buddy we're partying with teddy bears (laughs) (laughs) oh man to go back and watch those I watched Return of the Jedi in the theater I think that was the very first movie I'd ever gone to see and I was terrified of that last scene where Darth Vader takes off his helmet and I ran next door where they were playing Barbie and I would just keep going back and forth whenever it got scary I would go over and watch Barbie (laughs) and come back so did you feel like David that before you went to Galaxy's Edge, you needed to show her anything more than just those three? Did you move on to The Mandalorian, or did you move on to the more recent movies? The other night, we watched Phantom Menace. And, um, oh boy, was that a mistake. All of our faces are like, ugh. (laughs) As as he's saying Phantom Menace, we're like, ugh. (laughs) The last time I tried to watch that one, uh, it was three nights in a row. We tried to get through it, and we got through about two-thirds of it at the end of that and gave up. Uh, Yeah, it's rough. She was was so visibly – and I I will tell you this. I will tell you, I have not gone and, like – put any thoughts into her mind about any of this stuff i have not told her what she is supposed to like or what other people like she knows almost nothing she knew that like darth vader was a bad guy she knew the phrase may the force be with you there were certain lines and certain scenes that she had absorbed through pop culture most of them were from a new hope but yeah i have not told her anything and we were not deep into phantom menace and she was just like like really for like like she's like why are we talking about trade disputes and she immediately hated jar jar i had to pause the movie and i was like look you're gonna hate this character just know that this movie ruined the life of the actor who played him and she was just like okay i feel i feel bad midway through she's like this isn't his fault he's doing a really good job at this character it's just a bad character. He was like the replacement for C-3PO, her favorite character. Yeah. That was kind of the worst part. Well, I mean, the C-3PO was in there. That's true. For this movie, this is back in like the 2000s or something. And I remember because we actually like sat in line for this movie for like Me six too. hours. We were, we were in line, like just sitting there, you know, playing card games and waiting back when people actually like camped out to watch movies. Do they do that anymore? I don't think they do that anymore. I can tell you, like for me, when Phantom Menace came out, I was kind of at the peak of my Star Wars love. I needed to love this movie. It didn't matter what it was. I was at like an age where I, I, Your identity was loving Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely needed to love this movie. Looking back on it now, what's really remarkable to me about this is that, and this is actually something for all, all of the Star Wars movies up to this point, most of my nostalgia and most of my positive memories are actually from video games. The biggest hit of nostalgia that I got out of Empire Strikes Back was when the snow speeders were taking down the AT-ATs with the tow cables. And I realized while I was watching it, it had more to do with Shadows of the Empire and the Rogue Squadron mm-hmm. games. 
and yeah. like yeah. it wasn't the movie itself it was the memory of doing that in these games oh i do remember taking down okay is it adat or is it atat it's not adat either one anyone who gets militant about adat i think that they can just kind of go to hell because <laughs> yeah. they're not saying at atst you know for the atsts yeah. like yeah. no one's like atst like the small ones the chicken walkers <laughs> the chicken walkers <laughs> yeah the little ones yeah yeah two-legged ones and i would say this the same thing happened to me for phantom menace there's three things about that movie that i have really positive thoughts about one was the pod racing which truly had nothing to do with the scenes in that movie it had to do with the pod racing video games which i truly enjoyed but oh my does that scene go on way too damn long i mean it is it's forever Pod racing is pretty cool. Pod racing is cool. The video games were amazing. And I, I watching that, I was like, my, my positive memories of this are not of the movie. They're of the game. I think that throughout all of the movies, I mean, John Williams' score is phenomenal. I think the scoring for Phantom Menace is a particular standout. And I can't tell if it's just that the score is so much better than the rest of the movie. But I think the scoring of that movie is phenomenal. And the lightsaber fight at the end with Darth Maul is just iconic. And I still feel like, and I know we got brought back in Clone Wars in the animated series, but they really did Darth Maul dirty. <laughs> Which is the movie with the Yoda fight scene? So there are two Yoda fight scenes, but the one that like blew everyone's mind is coming up in episode two in Attack of the Clones. Yes. Oh my God. That was the best fight scene ever. Ever. Yeah, that was like where they just decided that like, oh, yeah, we're just going to take our inspiration from Sonic Spinball. <laughs> but it but it made perfect sense. Yeah, because you were always like, why is this old guy? You know, why is he teaching people how to fight with the lightsaber? And now you I thought it was pretty rad. Oh, no, it was, it's, it was sick. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> At the end of Phantom Menace, Lisa stood up and was like, and this is this is not like most things do not get a reaction like this from Lisa. She was just like visibly upset. And she was just like, this is terrible. I was either angry or bored through most of it. The only good parts involved the now dead Jedi. How did that get made? And the now dead Jedi was in reference to Qui-Gon Jinn. You know, honestly, I would watch a live stream of Lisa Spira watching Return oh, of the yeah, Jedi. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, like somebody who'd never seen yeah. them. Like, how rare is that? <laughs> she was so frustrated. And she, she was in this agitated state. And she's like, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the franchise. <laughs> oh, as are we all. And then. So what do you do then, though? Do you fast forward to The Force Awakens or you just go, OK, now that's enough. That's all you need to know. Let's do galaxy's edge she's got to watch all of it we're committing we're doing this thing but you've already been to galaxy's edge well no i went without lisa to galaxy's edge oh okay. i'll come back to this in a second so i just want to say so at the end of this i explained to lisa that a lot of the fandom attributes a lot of the success of the original trilogy to george lucas's wife who did a lot of the editing on that and she's an editor i can't remember her name she edited a lot of iconic films of like the 70s and 80s and I explained that, you know, they had gotten divorced and she wasn't involved in the subsequent films. And upon learning that, she, she just she responded to me. She was like, see, you don't divorce people who are good editors. If you do, that movie is your legacy. <laughs> 
You know, she has yeah. a point. Yeah. <laughs> We've been giving George Lucas the credit this whole time, but, you know, maybe it really should have gone to the wife. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, that's where we've left off. I am working with Lisa on a separate, very short uh, mini podcast series that I'm calling The Doomed Voyage. We're doing 10 to 15 minute episodes, and it's about the process of booking, prepping for and going to Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. We're kind of documenting all of this as we go, which is why I actually have been writing down these quotes from her. It's going to be short episodes. We're not going crazy with it, but it's something that we plan to release at the end of the season of Repod. So anyway, with all that said, while I was in Anaheim, I also, before we got these tickets to Star Cruiser, I had made plans to go to Disney Anaheim and do Galaxy's Edge. I have been told by so many people that Rise of the Resistance was the greatest theme park ride ever made. I thought my hype dial was just turned up way too high. My mind was fucking blown. Just, you're hearing it right now, like, and, and it's now like a week removed. I, for like three hours after seeing this, I was speechless. It really is incredible what they built there it is so incredible i cannot believe it got made i cannot believe that some executive didn't run this thing off the rails i cannot believe that the budget was allocated for it i cannot believe all of the ways they pulled out the stops on this thing absolutely dumbfounded i cannot wait to do it again this next generation of rides coming out of disney imagineering is insane the way the trackless mm -hmm. cars work. It's really cool. At the same time, same day, we went and did the new Spider-Man ride at California Adventure. And I felt completely oh. let down by that. Is that the one where you're shooting at the screens? It's like a video game? Yeah, it's the one where you like flip your wrists out and it's doing some kind of motion tracking thing. And you're supposed to be shooting things with webs as you go along. And I just thought that it was a supremely mediocre ride. I felt like the gameplay that they wanted you to do was really chaotic and frantic. And they also wanted to be telling you a story at the same time. And it all felt like it was deeply in conflict with one another and also just not that fun. But I was just just blown away by Rise of the Resistance. That one famous scene, and I don't think this is a spoiler because if you look up this ride, this is the photo that you see all the time where you come out and it's all the stormtroopers standing there. That's just a transition scene. I couldn't believe this entire beautiful crazy set was dedicated just to that. The scene that PG's talking about, you spend at most seven seconds interacting with it. And it's it's incredible. The whole experience is like that. It's like 15, 20 minutes and everything, you're only interacting with it for just a few seconds, but all of it is done so well. And the lighting and places where they added in shadows, the effects are just mind boggling. Even the line is fun. <laughs> I always enjoyed theme parks. I love a good roller coaster. I enjoy myself at Disney. I have never been one of those people to, like, drink the Disney Kool-Aid. I've never felt like it's the most magical place on Earth. I don't have all of these emotional attachments to it. In fact, my childhood experiences at Disney were awful because my brother made it a living hell because he hated it. 
So like, I don't have the Disney nostalgia. I have not bought into the mythos of all of this. This was the first time I have ever been on a ride on an experience at Disney or any theme park and just felt like, oh, okay, that was magical. Did anything else about Rise of the Resistance remind you of great escape rooms or great immersive events? Yes. Can you can you talk about that or yes. without spoilers, can you talk about any moment where you're like, okay, they really captured what great escape rooms do? It's all of it. Really, the whole thing, it is an immersive experience more than anything else. It is a theatrical immersive experience that happens to be a ride as well. It is doing everything that you could possibly want to have happen from a narrative standpoint. There is a performative element to it that you just don't see in theme park rides. It feels alive. The people who I was with, they had all been on it before. They were all telling me that half their fun was just watching. Like My jaw was, was hanging open the entire time. One of the things that I really think spectacular escape rooms tend to do well is that they'll put a lot of effort into making small moments feel magical and feel real, and then they won't overdo it. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of escape room creators make is they make a cool thing, and then they're like, well, this thing is really cool. I'm going to use this a whole bunch more. And the problem with that is that, as I've said before, cool is a diminishing asset. It loses the magic. Yeah, it's amazing. And the second time, it's really cool. And the third time, it's fine. And the fourth time, it's like, all right, I get it. And the fifth time, it's lost everything. And by the time you've redone this thing so many times, the thing that blew you away is now just annoying. They don't do that. They have so many special moments, and they just kind of stay that way. They stay special moments. But it's helpful when you are trying to shepherd thousands of people through, you know, in an hour. And so you have that luxury of you're just moving people kind of down the conveyor belt. It's a fundamentally different experience. And the volume, the amount of like crazy shit per second that happens is so high. It is. There's so much of it. Each time I just like, all right, they're not going to top this. And then they, they do. Even the animatronics. I hate animatronics. I usually find that like the predictable movement that they make, I think it only works on like even even on a lot of dark rides where I kind of think it works. Even in Pirates of the Caribbean, I feel like you are left with the animatronics for too long. You see the patterns. There's so many different articulations and so much programmed into these animatronics. I didn't know that you could make animatronics like this. I'm hard pressed to point to a thing and say like, oh yeah, they, they, they should have done more with that. There's a selfish part of me that's like, well, it would be amazing if it was 30 minutes longer. <laughs> it's a pretty long, actually, it's a very long ride because there's- It's a very long ride. There's multiple parts of it. That kind of felt almost not escape room-ish, but you do feel like you're going on a journey because there's so many different parts of this ride. There's acts to it. It's got a proper story structure. When you have a chance- to get out to one of these parks, do Rise of the Resistance. Did you get a chance to go on Smuggler's Run? I have not. The lines were really long. I know it's a lesser ride. I will say this. So this is a hint for Smuggler's Run. 
go on the single rider line. You may not be able to go with your group of friends, but like the single riders line has zero weight for it. You literally walk all the way to the front. And so when I went with a big group, all of us just did single riders. We were like, fine, we just want to go see what it's like. So that's that's one hack. If you didn't know about that, just go on that. But there is also a special mode when you go play this game that I didn't realize. So the way this game works is you're like in the cabin of the Millennium Falcon and everybody gets a different role, right? Someone's the engineer, someone's the gunner, someone's the pilot, and you are actually moving this ship. You're actually shooting, you know, the thing. So it's kind of like a video game in that sense, but you're working together. And apparently there is also a secret mode. And so we went on once as a group and felt bad. We actually ended up getting single riders joining our game, but we were like, we're going to try this hack. So basically before the ride starts, if you push the buttons in a special way, like the secret, like a Konami code style thing, where like move this dial to the left, you hold this button down, it enacts Wookiee mode. And so instead of the narrator coming on and talking and telling you how the game works, <laughs> the entire game, all you hear is, <laughs> and these poor people oh, no. that joined us, they were the single riders. They had never gone on the ride before. And so usually the guy walks you through and tells you like, you know, okay, gunners, now it's your turn. Hurry up and shoot the package or whatever. None of that. You know, just looking for the whole time throughout the entire game. You can look up how to do it. It's online. Or when you go on the ride, you can actually just tell the attendant, hey, we're trying to unlock the Wookiee mode. And they will tell you actually how to do it, like which buttons to press and what to hold down. So there's your um, your secret hack if you go on Smuggler's Run at Disneyland. That's so funny. So one of the reasons I didn't bother with it when we were in Anaheim was since we're going to, to Galactic Star Cruiser, part of that is you have a day on Batu or part of a day on Batu, which is they take you to the park and you go before um, at least part of your day is before the park opens. And so we'll be able to like walk right onto these lines, onto the rides pretty much with just the people who were there for Star Cruiser. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to wait on the crazy line. And I also kind of wanted to leave something to do for the first time in the park. But yeah, we're doing all that stuff. Did you do any of the gaming stuff there? The gamified aspects of Galaxy's Edge? I didn't explore any of it. I decided I was kind of going to wait until we could go and do it as part of this larger Star Cruiser experience. Yeah, so there's an app that you can use when you're walking around Galaxy's Edge also. And it's kind of like a series of mini games. I don't know if they're QR codes or like you would put in a number and it'll pull up and you can kind of hack into certain places. It's kind of fun. Some places you can translate what something says. And so like they have a lot of funny Easter eggs. It's like an alien language, right? And you're translating the alien language. And one of these plaques is above the drinking fountain. And when you translate it, it says, not for human consumption, for alien use only. This 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 liquid is poisonous to humans or some funny stuff like that is all around the park, which I thought was really fun as well. And I did hear that basically the style of interactive gameplay that they had at Ghost Town Alive, they originally were going to implement at Galaxy's Edge. And ultimately, I think they decided to not go with it just because, I don't know, I, I think logistically maybe the visitors there didn't really understand how it worked or whatever, but like... 
Like, how fun would that be, David, if they had that Ghost Town Alive style interaction at Galaxy's Edge? It's a shame that they haven't, but still, I'm looking forward to exploring all of it. We're we're kind of going all in. We're going to do the lightsaber build. We're going to go to the cantina bar. Lisa and I have decided that we are just, we're whole assing this experience. We're just excited we're just going to go and do the whole thing. We're watching as much of the stuff as we can going in. We're turning Lisa into a Star Wars person. I'm sort of trying to turn myself back into a Star Wars person. But Lisa's not like a theme park person, right? No. The good news is these rides are not really like, you know, thrill rides. Although she holds her own in thrill rides. And Lisa selectively like really loves this stuff. It's not something she usually actively seeks out for like a day's worth of stuff. She likes a good ride and she appreciates all of the theming and the the build outs of all this stuff. And Galaxy's Edge from a build out standpoint, like it's wild. The horizons that they have made for this thing, like you can just look out over the ridge and it's like rock. Well, it's all part of the planet. It's really nuts. Yeah, I think it's one of those things you get out of it, what you put in like Knott's Berry Farm. And my niece was like, I didn't even know this could be this fun. Like you got to treat it in a different way. In Disneyland, you got to approach in one way also. And I will say this, it's expensive, but doing the fast passes on all of those, it's worth it if you really want to maximize your time there. We paid the extra like $18 to go and fast pass onto Rise of the Resistance. It was worth every penny to not wait on the crazy long line. It's complicated, man. Like I feel like you need to be a certified lawyer to explain how the genie pass, lightning pass, that all. We were lucky. We went there with one of Brendan's friends who is a employee at Pixar and he gets a certain number of free passes every quarter. We basically went for free and he managed all of the purchasing for everything. And like, we didn't have to navigate any of it. He'd been there, you know, a hundred times and knows how everything works. So I loved being able to just go and be a brain dead <laughs> participant it's the way to do it yeah. <laughs> david once again managing to not have to book anything for himself <laughs> it's a superpower this is, this is my secret <laughs> secret to a good life anyway mark i wanted to ask you do you have a favorite battlestar galactica board game memory Oh, how do I choose one? I think my favorite off the top of my head. I played a few games by Forum on Board Game Geek. There was a there's a pretty big community pl- still playing that game by Forum there. So you play a game over a couple of months. And I managed to pull off in one turn. In one of the expansions, Ellen Ty is one of the political characters in the game. And her ability is on a turn, she can steal the president title from someone else and have it for the turn. The president has a hand of cards. They do all these weird, crazy, weird things on their own. And so I took the title, looked at the hand of cards they had. One of them was Execute Prisoner, which is you can kill someone in the brig. So I was like, per- and I was I was a silent at this point, just trying to cause as much havoc as possible. So like, perfect. So I'll use this, play this card. I'll kill the character in the brig. That'll cause these problems. Happened to be the other silent in the game. Wasn't aware of that. So it looked like I had done this really great thing for Team Human. And then uh, at the end of each turn, you draw a crisis card. And that happened to be a president chooses card, which is Ellen. I also get to ch- choose because I was still the president. And it was do something or execute the admiral. So it's like, 
well, I'm on a roll. Let's just see if I can kill another character off. And uh, I knew I'm going to hit a non-Cylon at this point because I'm the other Cylon. So played that and managed to just keep my cover hidden, having killed off very randomly two characters in the same turn, which never happens. It was very exciting of like trying to stay hidden and undercover in that game. And that's the, one of my favorite parts of that game is, is that, that subterfuge. That sounds very similar to my favorite experience playing that. It must have been Adama. It must have been Captain Adama. And the other person who was playing, there were two of us who were Cylons in the game. And the other person is someone from my old board game group who, in my opinion, is just one of the worst board gamers that I've ever played with. He loves playing board games. He's just not good at them. And he was so obviously a Cylon and playing it so poorly that I was just like, you know what? This is great. This is the best cover ever. I, I led the, the mob to get him booted and confirmed for everyone my humanness from the get-go and spent the entire game undercover just subtly screwing things up and just putting everything on the on the brink in the end, I had the opportunity. Someone was in the brig. A human was in the brig. I had a moment where I was able to steal the presidency and all the executive orders. And I just revealed that I was a Cylon in the, in the moment that I executed this person and basically ended the game. And it was, it was just like my finest board gaming moment. How they've gotten the tension of needing to trust each other in that game. There's, uh, for the, you haven't played it, there's one card that's called Executive Order that lets you take your one action and give it to someone else as two actions. This is what happens. Someone executive ordered me so that I could do this. Yep. Yeah. And like, as a Cylon, if you can stay hidden and keep the, the paranoia, you prevent those cards from getting played because you don't want them played in the wrong person or have a Cylon reveal. And so you just make them just worse overall slowly. Oh, it's just so it's just watching them not knowing who to trust or maybe it's you and like that the finger point oh it's so good no game has ever captured quite that magic before there's games i've gotten close but oh it's so good it's truly phenomenal unfortunately the game costs a small fortune to buy now because it's been out of print for forever so if you have a chance to play it i strongly recommend playing with as many of the expansions as you can because they they really add a depth and complexity to it that is worth it and again if you know anyone who has a expansion or two that they want to part with happy to see if i can trade or figure something out i really really want those expansions they did release a couple years ago unfathomable and it's the Battlestar galactica system but in their arkham horror universe so like hp lovecraft really yeah it does a send me a link yeah please. totally i will do that it does a good job of taking the kind of core aspect of that game and moving it over streamlining a lot of the things pulling things from the expansions and kind of putting it in a, in a base game shell it doesn't have the Battlestar galactica theming which i do love but i also love me some arkham horror so i mean arkham horror is good too yeah. and also i do think that that is a theming that is easier to convince certain people to go and participate definitely. in definitely anyone have any last thoughts this is technically the last episode that we've recorded on the season because the final episode of the season with matt Duplessy from level 99 and five wits we recorded a lifetime ago 
I have one last question. Mark, are any of your audio adventures still available for people to play if they decide they want to check them out? I believe Trap Puzzle Rooms is still running all of those. So head to audioescapeadventures.com. I'm pretty sure that's the website. Check those out there or send them an email and see if they're still running those. I'm pretty sure they, they still are at this point. Awesome. Would you like my one amusement park ride story that I tell everyone? Oh, please. Much like Lisa, I'm not a big throw ride person. I like the story rides. I like the rides that don't go upside down. That's my, my preferred mode. But my husband and I went down to Florida for a honeymoon back in 2017, I think, at this point. We did a couple of days at Disney, a couple of days at Universal. We just hung out in Florida for a few days. But we went to Hollywood Studios and did the rides there. And we had to, of course, do Tower of Terror. He enjoys that ride. And I had done it before. Years ago, I'd went with my family in, I think, 2000. And my mom and I had went on it. Neither of us big thrill ride rides, but at least I knew what to expect from the ride. I knew going in kind of what it was, was like, I, I've done this before. I can do it again. It's fine. We get in, you know, before you get into the car, they've got little numbers on the ground, all standing. So you kind of sit you where you're going to be in the ride. The woman in front of me turns around to me and goes, I just want to apologize beforehand. I might scream a lot. And I go, that's part of the ride. It's totally fine. In, have a good time. Like reassuring her, it's, it's, it's all fine. So we get in. My husband is in the far back right corner, and I'm right next to him in the back row. And we get in, and the ride, the doors close. They go up, and you go through a scene. You do that a couple of times. And I knew that the third time the door opened, that you'd see the park, and then they would drop you. That's what happened to me when I went the first time. I didn't realize that Tower of Terror has different drop sequences. And so we're going through the, the second scene, and we're going through, and the doors close, and it rises up. And then it just drops us. And I am not yet prepared for this drop to happen. And I let out just a guttural scream like I've never screamed before. <laughs> and it goes all the way down to the bottom. And when it stops, it goes up. I go, no, 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 no. I'm gripping onto the seat and it's screaming. And no, 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 no. And screaming up and down through the, the entire ride. I have lost my mind. And I'm just screaming just out loud. And I get done. And apparently... I turn to Andrew, my husband, uh, and he wants to make sure that I'm okay and I'm fine. I don't see the person to my left who is a gentleman who I don't know who apparently was laughing so much at my <laughs> just just screaming. <laughs> and then we get up and the woman in front of me who earlier you know mentioned turns around and goes – I didn't scream the most on that ride. And I go, no, no, you did not. I did. Uh, so that's how good I am on amusement park rides. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I had such a trauma response to this story. The only time I went on it, I had just drank a giant tall boy of beer. Oh, and no. And I don't do oh, PG. I, I don't do roller coasters. I definitely don't do drop rides. I don't know what puts you know what? It's because of the beer, which I had already been <laughs> drinking copious amounts of beforehand. And I'm like, I can do this, guys. It's fine. Blame it on the beer. I literally threw the cup away as I got onto the ride. I was drinking it in the entire line. So this is freshly sloshing around in my stomach and i could feel it like i knew it was a drop i did not know that it was gonna bounce you up and drop you again and bounce you up. like i like like it did this like 10 times and i thought it was just one drop oh my god <laughs> i must have been i think i was probably screaming as loud as you were <laughs> did you keep it in i did i did keep it in it was a close call 
<laughs> well, listeners, sorry to end on this um, note. <laughs> That's it for season five. No, there's one more episode coming up, but for us it is. Uh, thank you so much, Steve and Mark, for joining us for the bonus episodes. And thank you so much to our listeners. You guys have been the bedrock. Creating these bonus episodes has just been a joy. What she said. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.